All right, what is up, Anchor Nation? That was Breaking Benjamin, Diary of Jane, brought to you by 107.3 The Fox. One of the first jams that I really used to get down to. I, I absolutely love Breaking Benjamin. They, uh, they've changed a little bit over the years. Um, their sound's not the same. They're kind of singing about the same stuff, so that hasn't changed. We can agree on that. It's kind of like a, I don't want to say one note, because like I just said, their sound has changed, but their material has been consistent, let's say that. Um, and a lot of it, I come to find out, you know, years of listening to their music and reading about them, is that um, Ben Burnley, or Bur- is that his last name? The lead singer, he had some sort of undiagnosed or um, unknown medical condition that caused him to have severe headaches and he passed out and he had problems with touring and uh, you know he had all these things wrong with him that doctors just could not get him an answer for if they found an answer I haven't heard so I don't know um, I know that he separated from his wife and he's bringing his son on tour well I said he separated from his wife I don't know if they divorced or if she died um it's one of those. Regardless, single dad going on tour with his son, and you will see his son um, on occasion at a concert with him, rocking out, playing air guitar, or playing um, playing along with the band on a on a guitar that's not plugged in, off to the side. I got to see them live, and I, I did not see his son there. Uh, I saw him perform with um, Disturbed. And that was fucking cool. Uh, it, it wasn't as, uh, uh, how do you say it? It wasn't as rowdy as I would have hoped. It wasn't as, uh, you know, crushing or just badassery that I was expecting. Um, and once again, you know, that goes to old Ben and his medical condition. You know, he's not the epitome of, of health. Um, and he's been obviously having problems for over a decade. Um, regardless. He's one of my favorite uh, vocalists, and uh, his band is one of my favorite bands. Um, no matter how you know consistent their material is, <laughs> I just I've always liked their sound. Um, I, I became a huge fan of theirs when they dropped their first um, single. What was it? So cold. And I think everybody in my fucking town was. They would they would just repeat that song over and over over again and um, it's crazy it's just crazy how how huge that was when it hit just goes to show you how much radio can change your life Uh, I had someone explain it to me that they pay you pennies on the dollar for your song but you get paid every time it gets played and you get paid per radio station so you know let's say on a conservative estimate you've got a hundred radio stations that play your song and they play you or they pay you um, 10 cents per per radio station. That's a dollar. But then they play your song, uh, let's be conservative again here, um, 15 times in 24 hours. So that's, 100 and, that's, that's 15 bucks. And then you do that by 365. You know, it's a, it's a few grand. It's a few thousand dollars there just for that one song. And that's, those are conservative estimates. Conservative estimates for how, how much you would get paid. You know, um, I, I would love, I would love to have that kind of income. 
just from a song that I put on the radio. Wouldn't that be awesome? I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I know some guys that I went to school with that didn't want to work. So they're like, we're, we're going to get into rapping and making music. And so they, you know, got a home studio and they got the software and shit. They were trying to record stuff. And <laughs> uh, they made a couple of like low budget YouTube videos. Um, I know this guy that's a professional uh, beats producer. And he put some uh, beats on some soundtracks for them. And they, um, they, you know, they rapped for it and they made videos out of it. And they were interesting. You know, for some small town kid to put something out there, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's all right. It's uh, you know, not a number one hit, but you know, it's something." Uh, who else is putting out fucking music videos and rap videos and shit? So, um, I just <laughs> I look back at it, and I was like, "Damn, man, they they really wanted to, to break free from, you know, not having financial freedom." <laughs> uh, and, and to this day, from what I understand, they they still. Uh, don't do much with themselves. I, I don't even know if they work. Um, I know one kid went into the army. Uh, he's not in anymore, obviously. But um, I, I don't know what he did when he got out. Uh, I know that I saw him trying to make videos and he was trying to produce some shit and he was trying to to make soundtracks and stuff. And and you know I make it sound like these cats are lazy, but you you spend hours trying to edit and and chop this stuff up and make it sound good. This isn't something that you, you know, you put together in like an hour or two. You spend days on this stuff. And it, it, it's to the point for most people that are successful that they have to think of it as, as their regular nine to five. Um, and you know, you'll hear some people who's like, man, I was up all day and night for weeks trying to put this together and here's what I got. Now it's a number one hit. Well, okay, there may be a, been a time where some people did that, but you got guys like Eminem. He, um, who did he work with? I think he worked with, uh, was it The Weeknd? No, it was someone else. He had someone come on a song with him, and they would go to the studio and record. And he would show up at nine, and he would leave at five. And the dude's like, "Hey, man, don't you want to hang around and record a little bit more?" He's like, "Nah, bro, I'm out at five. This is my job. I'm a nine to five. I come in, I do my thing, and I get out. I go home. Uh, from that nine to five, though, you get a hundred percent of me." And then I go, I head home for the day. That's it. That's all I need. And it, you know, when that happened in his career, he's already, you know, filthy rich, uh, successful, uh, famous, you know, got all these accolades, all that nonsense. Um, and so he can afford to look at it that way. But he's also making a very relevant point that, you know, you can't let this shit consume you. It, it needs to, it needs to happen in its own time. So just put in the work and show up every day. Eventually you'll get there. And You know, the song was a hit that they did. So uh, he was definitely onto something. And um, all, all, anyway, I'm just rambling by now. So yeah, seeing Breaking Benjamin live was pretty fucking badass. Uh, I remember seeing a guy I went to high school with. His name's Brandon Cullen. He was there. I went with my brother and um, some friends of the family, Tabitha Fagan. Um, her younger brother was a real close friend of mine. He died at 26. Um, just randomly got sick and he got so sick he, he, he died. Um, so my brother my brother went to the concert with me. Uh, my brother's wife went. Tabitha, Tabitha went. I'm not sure who else went. I know I was there, obviously. but um, And then I ran into Brandon there. And it was, it was just really fucking cool. 
It's really fucking cool to see those people live. Um, David Draymond. I didn't realize it was just going to be him on the stage. And he had all these pyrotechnics to go along with it, which is really cool. And uh, Breaking Benjamin pulled out the lightsaber, the Darth Vader lightsaber, which um, to me was pretty fucking badass. Um, I I did think that it was a good experience and I would go again. But if I went again, man, I, I've got to be up closer to the front. I can't. I was uh, in like the, the mid back. So not there was like the section up in the front that had room for like 200 people. And then everybody else had to sit in a sectioned off area behind that. And you, uh, you couldn't walk into the next area up unless you had reservations to be there because it was just too crowded. And um, the area that, I would, that we sat in was good. I mean, it's not like we're at a football stadium and you're, you know, in, in row 35 uh, or 350 or whatever. It's not like the, the people on the stage are the size of ants. You know, or, or whatever. They, they, we were probably uh, 50 yards from the, the the stage, so not bad. I, I, good seats, good enough for me at least. And uh, I, hell, I would, I'd do it again. It's, it was good. It was good music, and they, they didn't jam out as hard as I wanted them to. I guess that's what I'm getting at. And but, but back to what I said. You know, Ben Burnley hasn't, you know, been 100. percent I don't know when the last time he was 100. percent um, moving on. So I've been sharing some stories about my uh, military experience. And I was talking today as I was leaving work uh, to this Vietnam veteran who uh, had a, a Vietnam veteran ball cap. And he, he wanted to see his upcoming appointments. I found out as we were talking that he's in his fucking 80s. Son of a bitch. Uh, he looked like he was at least over 60. Uh, hair's white, skin's wrinkled, um, eyes are not as clear as a young man's, and uh, I noticed, you know, that he was a little bit older, but, uh, so, <laughs> excuse me, um, we got to talking, and he was telling me a little bit about his Vietnam experience, and apparently he was um, a radio operator, or he worked in some sort of radio de- uh, subsection of his brigade, and um, he never even filed his, fired his rifle. Whole time he was there, never fired his rifle. I was that was hard for me to, to, to take in at first. I'm like, every Vietnam veteran I've ever met, they either they either um, loaded up aircraft with weapons or they shot weapons themselves. Either way, you know, it was all combat related. And uh, even though this guy was in, uh, did he say he was in Saigon? Man, I already forgot what city he said he was in. He was in uh, fuck. He wasn't in Way. He wasn't in uh, Quezon. Yeah, he was in Saigon. Yeah. So this dude's in Saigon, and um, he never shot at anybody. He said the food was shit because their cook was a Filipino guy that didn't know how to make... He didn't even know how to make a sandwich. Well, I find that incredible. But, you know, at that time, they're taking just anybody. So, you know, if you grew up in the Philippines, maybe your diet was different than some country boy from... You know, the Midwest of the U.S. Uh, yeah, they, they eat oatmeal and shit. And I'm pretty sure the people in the Philippines don't eat oatmeal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was talking about his experience there. And, you know, it just it further cemented for me the, the need to tell these stories. The need to talk about this shit. Because, um, you know, he's going to die. Probably 
in the next 10 years. If he's lucky, he'll live it for another 20. Um, if he's lucky. And his eyesight's already fading. And there's a lot of things that he doesn't remember. He did remember a few details. Um, but when the point is, is that when he dies, those stories go with him. And I've said this time and again, is that he's, uh, you know, got this rare piece of American history in his, in his mind. And I, I really want to preserve that. Even if people don't listen to it, at least I know it's there. And if I want to listen to it when I'm older, uh, as long as this app is still around, I'll be able to pull it up. <laughs> yeah, right. As long as this app is still around. We could go through a goddamn nuclear war and nothing will be around anymore. Fucking Russia and China. He's getting out of control. There's uh, submarines that are going to be sent over to the South China Sea. I don't know if y'all have read up kept up with that, but that's fucking foreboding. The submarines capable of carrying nuclear fucking warheads. And I, I think I saw an article somewhere that the U.S. is going to start producing nuclear warheads again, and we haven't in a very long time. That's not fucking promising. Um, anyway. Uh oh I think I see some car getting towed. Wah, wah, wah. Um, yeah, anyway. So... I, I want to tell these stories, and I want to preserve them. So one, one of the stories that I'd like to share today is um, about a, a friend of mine that died in Afghanistan. His last name was Brummond. Um, oh, my God, this motherfucker. I'm sorry. Th this guy had his turn signal on. I'm slowing down to let him get to me. He starts slowing down simultaneously. And I'm like, I'm, I'm slowing down to let you pass me, you fuckhead. You're already in front of me. Why would I speed up and pass you to let you change lanes? Son of a bitch. He, he almost caused me to wreck. He, he almost wrecked into me. Somebody behind me would have hit me. Bastard, man. Anyway. Um, fuck. Just driving. <laughs> uh, oh, the places you'll go. I went to Iraq. And in 2008, when I was in Iraq, um, we rotated from location to location. Our command thought it was important to not keep us stagnant and keep us in the same spot because then it's when you get complacent and when you start getting lazy and complacent, you let your guard down, you get killed. That actually happened to somebody. Um, it was towards the end of the deployment. There was a guy that was standing watch. He was standing his post. And um, some Iraqis, some insurgents, some enemies of coalition forces climbed a fence, uh, snuck into the wire and... Um, popped this dude with a pistol while he was standing watch and the people just could not believe it they couldn't believe that this actually happened but it did under cover of night they snuck in to the base these marines are at um it was a forward operating base so it wasn't anything sophisticated it's not like they had cameras everywhere they had some razor wire over some you know elevated walls and uh these people climbed that that wall and got over the other side snuck in when it was dark shot this dude in the fucking head and uh yeah he died so, and they, they found evidence, um, one, the shell casings from the, the weapon they shot and the uh, materials they used to cover the, uh, the razor wire so it wouldn't cut them up and tangle them up. Um, right. So, anyway, uh, the, that's not the story I want to talk about. I want to talk about Gavin um, doing a wrestling match with our company commander. At the time, he was uh, Captain Anzavino. He got promoted to major. Um, he moved off to a different battalion. I don't know what happened to him. I know he eventually got out. 
Um, I don't know who got out at Major Lieutenant Colonel. The last I saw him, he was Major Anzamino. Motherfucking huge. He was like a modern day Popeye, all upper body. Not his leg. I'm not saying his legs were scrawny, but his his forearms and chest and shoulders were so damn huge. It was like when Popeye ate that can of spinach. That's exactly what that looked like. And so anyway, he's um, he shows up to our dojo, and we're all wrestling and fighting and stuff like that. Because that's what we do when we had spare time and we weren't tired. You know, we would go in the dojo and we'd wrestle. And we, um, you know, we wouldn't hurt each other bad, but you'd get in there and you'd put somebody in an arm bar or tap them out or, you know, slam someone into the pad enough. Maybe they lose their breath, whatever. Um, we had a couple of uh, silver bar lieutenants. Uh, the Marine Corps does their ranks kind of like the Army and the Air Force. Um, the Navy's the one that, that does their ranks differently. So a silver bar lieutenant. Um, is a lieutenant junior grade for the Navy and for the Marine Corps, it's a first uh, first lieutenant. So these first lieutenants were wrestling, and they're you know they're average looking dudes. There's one tall, lanky looking guy. Looks like he might be a, a you know a long distance runner, and then there's this stocky short dude that if you ever saw Sean Shirk in the UFC fight, he kind of looked like that. Not as big because Sean Shirk took steroids, but he he was big like Sean Shirk. Um, short guy, uh, real condensed. And then, you know, guys like Captain Anzavino, if you wanted to equate him to anybody, um, I'd say it'd have to be Daniel Cormier, but with more upper body muscle. So Daniel Cormier was a big dude, and he was strong. You saw so in different championship fights he was in. Uh, like, he, he knocked out Stipe Mikocic with a shoulder bump. Like, he... He bopped it. He rushed his shoulder into Mikochik's jaw and knocked him out that way when they were clenched up. Um, he put a hurt on John Jones. I know John Jones won, but he he busted John Jones's face up in that fight a little bit. And anyway, just I'm using all this imagery to try to you know support the the uh, the image of what this guy looked like. So he's huge. He's hairy. You know, he's he's stocky. He's big. He's in his late twenties, early thirties. So he's still you know still really healthy. He's in really good shape. And Gavin Brumman was a collegiate wrestler. I don't think he was Division One, but he was—he'd been wrestling his whole fucking life, so he knew how. And Major Anzavino, all he knew was combatives, and we weren't doing combatives. We were doing, you know, grappling, jiu-jitsu, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, somebody, you know, wants to wrestle, and Captain Anzavino steps in and was like, "I want to wrestle," and we're like, "Oh yeah, you should definitely wrestle Brumman because." He's probably going to be the only one that can fucking take you. <laughs> You'll crush the rest of us because you're so goddamn big, but Brumman used to actually wrestle. So if you wrestle him, he's got a chance. And that's exactly what happened. So Brumman's already, you know, stocky and strong. He's he's not little, but he's not huge like Anzavino is. If you were going to uh, draw a comparison to him, he looked more like Matt Hughes. Now, let's not say he looked exactly like Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes was fucking huge. For somebody at 175. Um, Brumman was around 170, 175, but he wasn't solid muscle like uh, Matt Hughes is. Um, he's still a big guy. Anyway, so, and you know, we're all cheering and everything, um, getting this uh, match situated. And uh, it goes for, I think, two rounds. And, um, you know, we, we ended up having to, like, uh, time it. Because the first round ran so goddamn long. Um, 
Anzavino was too strong and Brumman was too good to where Anzavino couldn't pin him and Brumman couldn't pin Anzavino because he was so fucking big. And I remember, like, we're all just losing our minds as, as Brumman is locked up with this guy. I mean, the size comparison cannot be ignored. You, you just see as clear as day that Anzavino is way bigger than Brumman, at least 50 to 60 pounds bigger. And Brumman is holding his own, locked up with this dude, shrugging him from left to right, you know, twisting him around, trying to get his back. And, um, you know, after about like five minutes of this, we had to give him a break. And so they're taking a break and Brumman, you know, is getting a sip of water, he's cooling down. And Zavino steps off to the side, takes a knee. And I'll remember, <laughs> I'll never forget this. He kind of looks a little pissed, but he's not like super pissed, but he's a little pissed. And he looks around and he's like, why is no one rooting for me? <laughs> and I, I look around and I was like, well, sir, you're, you're almost, you know, 100 pounds bigger than him. Of course, that was an exaggeration, but he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, he was also an officer, you know, and this is an enlisted man. And there's like only three other officers in this group with us at that time. The rest of us are enlisted and there's about 20 of us in the crowd. So you can imagine that you know, all the all the enlisted dudes are pulling for Brumman. And um, the second round takes off and something happens to where Brumman gets Anzavino on his back. And Anzavino tries to like lock him up in a guillotine. And it looks like he's going to get it because... I mean, you, you, Brumman's head has disappeared under this man's body. You know, his arms and shoulders are so fucking big that when he wraps his arm around Brumman's neck, you can't see his head anymore. <laughs> so you're, you're looking and we're like, oh, Brumman, you know what you got to do, man. You got to get out of it. We're all giving him all these tips and shit. But he, he really, he knew what he was doing. So he, um, he put one hand, his, I think he took his right hand. He took his right hand. And he started to pinch down on different parts of his forearm. And then he was also sweaty. So he was like kind of wiggling himself out. And his skin was sliding. And then he used his other hand to sort of keep Anzavino's shoulder in place. So that he was pulling with two different forces. Two different motions. And eventually he slid out. And um, he was mounted up on Anzavino. And Anzavino had to tap. Because I think he put him in the, like some sort of um, some sort of crucifix. And so... Yeah, Brumman ended up winning that match. Brumman ended up winning somebody that was easily stronger and heavier than him. And we just, we just, we're, we, we all like lost our minds when Anzavino had to tap out. And when he tapped out, he was pissed. He was like, you motherfuckers could have root cheered for me a little bit. <laughs> you know, we just laughed it off and, um, we had to stop doing that at some point. Um, we had to stop doing that at some point because, uh, we had another group of guys get in that dojo and wrestle, and one of them broke a bone in his fucking neck. Um, so once again, it's a it's a story of skill versus size and strength. His name was uh, Barrett. His last name was Barrett, and then the other guy, his last name was uh, something Hispanic. Now the other guy was an amateur cage fighter. He'd been in cage fights before. Um, Barrett was probably the strongest guy for his weight class in our entire company. Now, to give you an idea, uh, a Marine Corps infantry company is around 200 guys. So, uh, two to 300. And anyway, um, so Barrett is, you know, tall. He's uh, lean and fit, but he's also really fucking strong. And um, they match these two guys up. And I remember sitting there one day and... Uh, that that other dude, and he was our cook, which I thought was crazy. Um, not Barrett, the other guy. 
he he looks at Barrett a certain way and he dips his shoulder down and puts his hand in this position. And I can tell he's about to grab him. I just don't know how he's going to grab him. And then I see him lock up and he grabs Barrett in such a way that he picks Barrett off the ground and dunks him. And when he dunked him, he landed on his neck because he was trying to stop it. And he was unsuccessful. Um, he cracked a bone in his neck. And, you know, immediately we knew he was hurt. And he got up and he tried walking it off, but his vision blurred and he couldn't see. And he was like, oh, man, my neck, I'm really in a lot of pain. And I, you know, me being the medical guy is like, Barrett, let me take a look at you, man. Let me see what I can find. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to walk it off. He had to go fucking um, to the, the battalion mains uh, position. The, it was Camp Barria is where our battalion headquarters was. He had to go back there and he had to stay there for the rest of the deployment because he fucked his neck up. And um, we had to phrase it in such a way that it was during a training exercise, not us fucking around. But we didn't go to the dojo anymore after that. <laughs> after Barrett got hurt, we stopped doing that shit. So um, anyway, I'm at the house and I got to get in. So that's going to be the end of this story. Uh, fake it until you make it is what I called my Facebook post and my Instagram post um, sharing my story. Because, you know, I'll, I'll explain more about that in the future. But for now... I'm going to get in this house. It's starting to get hot out there, y'all. Drink water. Take care of yourselves. And um, this has been Aaron Rollin, your host from Southeast 3rd. I'm signing off.